Shalom and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. The Torah portion for this Shabbat Mishpatim contains the only verses in all of Scripture that deal directly with abortion head on. In the book of Exodus, chapter 21, the Torah distinguishes between the life of a pregnant person and the life of a fetus. We are actually told in the Torah that if a man pushes a pregnant woman and causes that pregnant woman to miscarry, killing the fetus, the man must pay a fine. However, if in pushing her, he causes the mother to die instead of the fetus, the penalty is life for life. In other words... If a fetus is destroyed, the penalty is not death. But if a mother dies, the penalty is death. Put differently, taking the life of the fetus is not the same as taking the life of the mother if you read the Bible. This explains why Judaism has never outlawed abortion and why it is utterly puzzling that anyone who takes the Bible seriously suggests that a fetus is equal to the life of the mother. To the contrary, Judaism has always permitted abortion and in some cases required it as essential health care. Let me prove it to you. The greatest Moses since Moses in the Torah, Moses Maimonides, was a physician as well as a rabbi. And he states, the great Maimonides, and I quote, when a woman is in hard labor, her life always takes precedence over the fetus's life. And he adds, a woman is forbidden from sacrificing her own life for that of the fetus. If her life is threatened, she is allowed no other option but abortion. That's from Mishnah Ohalo, chapter 7, verse 6, if you want to check it. After Maimonides, the revered 11th century sage Rashi held that a pregnant person has more status than a fetus all the way up to birth. Quote, for as long as the potential life is still part of the mother, Rashi says, It is not the same being and therefore always permissible to take the fetus's life in order to save its mother, sad and painful as that may be for the mother and family. Let's fast forward 918 years from Rashi to last June's Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, where this new Supreme Court overruled 
both Roe v. Wade, 1973, and Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, giving individual states the full power to regulate any aspect of terminating pregnancies, thus taking away the 50-year constitutional right of women to control their bodies and reproductive health care. 24 states are now likely to ban abortion. 18 states, like Tennessee, already have abortion bans or severe restrictions in effect. Restrictions ranging from total bans to bans after 20 weeks of pregnancy. Now, by the way, after 20 weeks is often when life-threatening complications arise for both the mother and the fetus. The wrathful protesters outside women's clinics, including screaming men, intimidating young impregnated girls and women, claim they're just looking out for future children and care about the health of the mother too. Mothers who could die bringing the fetus they are carrying to term. Those angry, militant anti-abortion protesters could actually care less about these traumatized pregnant girls and women who will bleed out delivering future babies, babies that will also die within months in many cases. Women who must terminate their pregnancies past 20 weeks can now be arrested for doing so in states like ours and a growing number of bordering states. Women are in serious danger and without federal protections, reproductive justice in America is now a matter of your state address, not your health situation. This Shabbat Mishpatim has been named Repro Shabbat thanks to the National Council of Jewish Women. Reproductive freedom is a Jewish value. And NCJW wants every synagogue and community, men especially, as well as women, to join in the just fight to protect women, children, and families, all of whom are under threat with this horrific overturning of a 50-year precedent protecting women, children, and families. Now, about this frightening Dobbs decision, perhaps the most disturbing line in Justice Alito's 98-page draft opinion reversing Roe v. Wade was an overlooked footnote where he cited 2002 Central, um, the Center for Disease Control's data showing that nearly one million women were seeking to adopt children 
Whereas, and here's the key phrase, the domestic supply of infants relinquished at birth or within the first month of life and available to be adopted has become virtually non-existent. This scary supply-demand mismatch of baby's logic was also mentioned by Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who said, there's no meaningful hardship in constricting women to remain pregnant and deliver babies in 2022 because, quote, safe haven laws allow these women to drop those unwanted babies off at the fire station for other parents to adopt. Journalist Dahlia Litwick commenting on these judges' celebration of forced birth and adoption said this, and I quote, It's chilling, not just because it discounts the extortionate emotional and financial costs of childbirth and the increased medical risks of forced childbirth. It's chilling because it lifts us out of a discussion about privacy and bodily autonomy and into a regime in which babies are a commodity and pregnant people are vessels in which to incubate them. Put differently, the argument that forced birth is justified because other people can have the enjoyment of the resulting children sends us tumbling deeper down the rabbit hole into commodifying babies and conscripting their mothers. And almost as crazy wrong and evil is that some of the same groups clamoring for more domestic babies to be adopted by deserving families have sought to make it impossible for same-sex parents or even non-Christian parents to adopt babies. And remember, Dahlia continues, black babies cost less to adopt than other children, suggesting a solution to the perpetual mismatch between the supply of and demand for black kids. So let's just all agree that not all babies are created equal and not all prospective parents are either. Forcing pregnant women to carry to term for the benefit of others isn't about fetal personhood rights versus a woman's right to decide what to do after being impregnated by a man. Forcing women to carry pregnancies to term is the very definition of subjugation. It's an outrage against decency, liberty, democracy, privacy, personal autonomy. It's an outrage against Judaism and our conception of a loving, compassionate, and just God who is weeping over any governmental authority that coerces women and subjugates women while shrinking governmental resources toward health care, 
parental leave, child hunger, poverty, even threatening to cut off contraception access. The moral disgrace of overturning Roe v. Wade is forcing women to carry pregnancies regardless of the dangers to their own health and lives, regardless of cost, and regardless of the misery they or their children will suffer. That's the moral disgrace of it all. I checked the temple archives and I found that I preached my first sermon on Judaism and abortion here nearly 32 years ago in 1991, just after the high anniversary, 18th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And in that sermon, I noted the three guiding principles on abortion in Jewish tradition. Number one, a woman's life, her pain, her concerns always take precedence over those of the fetus. Number two, existing life is always sacred and always takes precedence over a potential life. And three, a woman has the personal freedom to apply the principles of her religious principles of her Jewish tradition, unfettered by government, whether in Israel or America, or the legal imposition of theological views other than her own. Writing my sermon tonight, I felt like a grandmother I saw at the women's rally at the National Civil Rights Museum in downtown Memphis about five years ago. This older woman, probably around 80, was holding a sign which read, I can't believe we're still protesting this crap. Only it didn't say crap. Uh, among the most prized honors I've received over the years is an award named for a local, local Republican councilman. It's the James Award from Planned Parenthood, recognizing clergy who believe, as apparently Republican councilman James did, that the most personal, painful, gut-wrenching healthcare decisions for a woman should be decided, yes, by her faith, yes, by her conscience, but not secular courts or government legislators acting like religious ministers. Regardless of one's religious or political leanings, whether or not to terminate a pregnancy ought to be made without the involvement, interference, or intervention of government. This is a matter between a woman, her faith, family, and God. The danger of religion is when humans, even federal judges, play God, acting like religious clerics in black robes. History has taught us what happens when government and religion get in bed with each other, both suffer. In closing, this abortion issue is not on God, it's on us. So may cooler heads and warmer hearts prevail. And may the immoral pendulum swing back from where it is right now and somehow, some way, restore justice and legal protection 
for women, children, and families in this land of the free and home of the brave. so may it be. Speedily and God willing soon. Amen.